This is episode 274. A group of panelists from Western Maryland joined the podcast to talk openly and honestly about racial issues in Western Maryland. These are the important conversations that we need to have and be willing to have in order to make progress in our country. My name is Ryan Miner. I'm the host of a Minor Detail podcast. I report on Maryland political news at a aminordetail.com. A Minor Detail is a startup media outlet dedicated to bringing Marylanders a multimedia experience. Our platform is painstakingly fair. We're nonpartisan and independent. We're not beholden to donors or big advertisers. We're interested in the facts in every story. We're interested in finding the truth. This year, A Minor Detail and its podcast turns five years old. A Minor Detail covers trending Maryland political news. We keep politicians honest, we don't play favorites, and we certainly don't bullshit you. We encourage you to support local news, and it's up to you to decide how to use it and how to make sense of it. Now, let's talk about the news. Welcome, everybody. This is Minor Detail Podcast. My name is Ryan Miner. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Check me out on the web at aminordetail.com. I cover Maryland news and politics. And tonight, I have the pleasure of having assembled a panel. We have some really wonderful, fantastic panelists joining us to talk about some topics that really shouldn't be uncomfortable anymore to talk about. And it's race specifically to Western Maryland. I grew up in Western Maryland. Many of you may have grown up in Western Maryland or somewhere in Maryland, and as a young kid growing up in Halfway and even in the city of Hagerstown, you know, racial issues, it didn't really dawn on me that there was even issues, that these issues existed. And I mean that sincerely because, look, I'm a white guy, grew up in Western Maryland, spent a lot of time around white people, and really didn't necessarily get into I didn't experience diversity until I actually left Washington County. I went to school in Pittsburgh and I was around a whole a whole diverse a hugely diverse culture. Then I left Pittsburgh, went to work in DC and you know, it's just different. And then now we as a country are forced to tackle these issues and we want to talk about them in a, in a transparent way, openly, honestly. And I want everybody to just sit back tonight and relax. And if anybody's ever been on these panel discussions, some of you have been on this show before. Chad, I, you and I have done interviews before. Charlotte's a pro. <laughs> Char- <laughs> Charlotte's been. <laughs> so uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes of our discussion, what I would like to do is just to go round robin. I've already introduced myself. Everybody knows who I am. So I'm going to start up at the top to introduce our panelist. And I'm going to start with you. Kim, could you tell us your name and what you do and maybe like a fun fact about you? <laughs> um, I'm Kimberly Duff. I am the chair of the Washington County Democratic Central Committee. Um, I have a four-year-old daughter. Uh, I go to Hood College in Frederick. Um, I have a degree in political science. I'm going after my second one right now. Um, so that's the fun fact about me. Awesome. And Kate, how are you? Wonderful. I'm doing wonderful, Ryan. My name is Kate Smith. Um, I am the councilwoman for the town of Oakland. I'm the first African-American to run and become and be elected here in Gary County. 
I am also, I was just sworn in July 14th as the Western Maryland Regional Chair for the United Democratic Women of Maryland. And let me see, fun fact. Um, I'm here alone in Garrett County. So it has been, <laughs> my children are grown. And so this was a, start my life over move, but I didn't know where I moved. No. Um, because in, as a tourist place, you don't see the ugly until I actually moved here. And even though I've been a councilwoman for 14 months, I'm still told or asked, how long am I visiting? Are you a tourist? Hmm. And that's comical because I'm in the newspaper the first week of every month, because that's when our council meeting and everything, anything I say, they think it's sarcastic. So I, um, I'm in the newspaper. So it's really, it's, it's disrespectful now when people tell me you don't, or how long are you gonna be here? Or you're on that grass and I know the people who live there and you need to move when this is where I live. So I don't have much of a fun life anymore because um, I couldn't be quiet. I was a victim advocate for 26 years in North Carolina on the state and federal level. And even though I came here as a victim running from an abusive husband, I did not, um, I didn't wanna fight anymore with anybody on any issue. And so I'm back fighting because I'm also a court appointed special advocate in Allegheny County. And now with my position as the Western Maryland chair, I'm reaching out to all the counties in Western Maryland so that we can try to um, be more uniformed and, and united because there's issues that's happening in Washington, Frederick, Garrett, Allegheny, that's the same issues. So, so, so we should not be reinventing the wheel and so um, I'm, I'm very honored to be here with everyone else. And I'm ecstatic about meeting you guys and hope to work more with you in the coming. Thank you. Well, Councilwoman, I'll tell you, the first time I met you was, uh, well, I saw you speak and it was up at the Western Maryland Democratic Summit. I believe it was uh, two years ago. Yes. And I had, I had not heard of you. I think you may just have gotten elected. And you took down the house with a, a speech that you made. And hopefully, a little bit later, I want you to share your personal narrative, if you can and if you're willing to. And ever since then, I said to myself, this is someone to watch. This is an incredible person who has infinite wisdom. I'm pleased to have you on the show tonight in the panel. And it's, uh, I, I really am excited about your career and where you're going to take it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Uh, let me go to Chad Smith from Washington County. Chad Smith, the uh, owner of Fitness Revolution in Hagerstown, Maryland. Um, I have uh, a 12-year-old amazing son. Well, he'll be 12 this year. And I'm also a huge uh, comics fan, so a.k.a. giant nerd. <laughs> you know, fun fact. Chad used to train me, and he's a hell of a trainer. I'll tell you right now. This guy, is, you, he's a fitness expert and a really, really smart guy. Knows what he's doing. And Chad and I have a mutual appreciation for semi-pro wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, Lauren, welcome for the first time to a Minor Detail podcast. Thank you. I'm Lauren Billow. I'm from Washington County. 
I have lived here for uh, 15 plus years. I am an assistant public defender for the Office of the Public Defender for Maryland. I am one of few uh, people of color uh, who are defense attorneys in Washington County. Fun fact about me is that I am a crazy fan for The Lion King. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> All right. That's cool. Um, Charlotte, who needs no introduction, but will still nonetheless give one. <laughs> um, hi, everybody. I'm Charlotte Oftenbrink. I am one of the owners at Dan's Restaurant and Tap House in Boonesboro. And a fun fact about me, I have four kiddos and two of them are twins. Yes. Well, <laughs> we've got a we got a really great diverse panel tonight. I'm excited to have y'all and this is um I think we're going to have a productive discussion tonight. And I was a little bit vague with asking you on to talk about race in general. I mean, it's a huge topic with what's happening nationally, but each of you lend an important perspective and each of you are involved with your communities. Each of you are invested and each of you are thoughtful people and that's and i mean that i don't i don't and charlotte can tell you i'm not going to bring anybody on this show uh who's not thoughtful chad and i have known each other for a long time chad and chad has watched me go from like one side to the next and then (laughs) and it's fun because chad chad and i've been friends for a really long time and uh you know people evolve over time and that's that's the point of what I'm trying to accomplish with this tonight is to show how a place like Western Maryland can evolve and can better understand and ask the right questions, especially about sensitive topics like race. But I, this podcast has always just been about telling the truth and being open and honest and just talking to people and having a frank discussion. And that's what I want to do tonight. And it sort of kicked off yesterday when Charlotte and I were talking, and some, and this happens a lot, like my wife will be like, "Who are you talking to?" And I'll be like, "Oh, Charlotte." And she's like, "What are you two up to? What are you, what, what are you plotting today?" <laughs> so, you know, in Washington County, I grew up there. Most, it's a it's a strange place at times, right? It, it's a it's a place where you don't always feel like people are willing to listen to you. At least partisanly. You know, it's a conservative Republican area. And it's and it shouldn't be defined as just conservative or Republican, because that's not fair. There's there's we are all people first. I don't say hi, I'm Ryan, I'm a registered unaffiliated. I say, Hi, I'm Ryan Minor. Uh I like cheese. I like <laughs> I'm a father, I'm a husband. Um, what kind of cheese? It yeah, yeah. Be conservative cheese. <laughs> But, you know, all of us have experienced the weirdness of our respective areas being in Western Maryland. And we know what we're up against sometimes, right? Kate, Mm -hmm. you told me a story earlier in this program that people, it's offensive that people still don't know. They think you're visiting because you're the first African-American elected in Garrett County. And they see your name in the newspaper. I mean, Kate Smith is about as American name as you can get. Right. <laughs> oh, but, but but then in, in, um, in the last few weeks, it was a whole thing because I'm divorced. I've been I've divorced. Oh. I lived here, so my name was Kate Brody when I was at the pack. Yeah. 
and when I was elected. So the whole changing of my name has become something that is only happening because I'm black. Like um, I get, it's, it's my pictures floating around in Garrett County, and they're like, "This woman is using an alias." No, that's my birthright. Uh. It really is. I mean, you want to be specific? It's Ethel Kate Smith, but I'm just not old enough to use Ethel yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of I, I kind of like that. So tonight, what I I want to talk about a couple of different things, and we'll break it into segments and. I'm glad we have Lauren on the panel because we cannot talk about race without talking about the criminal justice system. That's just absolutely apparent. I think we'd all agree. And I want to start out by just referencing something that occurred yesterday. And in Washington County, in the state of Maryland, for anybody who's not familiar with how our local political systems work, is we have elected Republican and Democratic Central Committees. In Washington County... So the, the Republican Central Committee is – I think it, it's, it's comprised of about nine people, and it's you – would, you would think that you would be uh, – that it would be a little bit diverse, right? I mean there's some women, but it's mostly white males, and it, it's not diverse at all. And, and that's, that's probably indicative of the culture of Washington County, but it's, it's nine individuals who are – rabid Trump supporters, right-wing supporters. They think Larry Hogan is a rhino, even, even though, you know, we can, we don't have to talk about that, but it's, it's, they, they've upheld the culture, so to speak, for so long, and it's, it's truly a broken system. And I'd like to give you a couple examples of why. Just yesterday, we saw a Washington County Republican Central Committee member named Ray Fultz. He posts this, this posting on on Facebook, and it was under a article about the Confederate statue down at the Antietam battlefield. And he, it, it, we first thought that it might have been Jerry DeWolf because Jerry DeWolf had he's the chairman of the Central Committee in Washington County, and then he he they later made a statement. It was so egregious, and this doesn't happen often that his comments were so bad that the Washington County Republican Central Committee said, wait a second, this 69-year-old man from halfway posted a really, really bad posting, um, and we don't agree with it. And I'm just going to read it here. And I have it on my smartphone. It says, since taking mob action against whatever offends us or pretending to, be, to take offense, I suggest retaliation by burning BLM and Antifa flags painting over any of their slogans and meeting them head on. After all, since the demands for unearned reparations is now the rage and mob violence and its, and its threat, the means to assure the ransom, it is obvious that BLM actually stands for blackmailing, looting, and moochers. So for the first time in like ever, the Republican, the Washington County Republican Central Committee had to put out a statement to say, uh, yeah, that, we don't agree with that. And it wasn't a it wasn't an apology. There was no expression of like, holy cow, this guy put out this awful posting under our central committee page. And take note, these guys are elected officials. Kim's for the Democratic side. You guys are elected officials. You are beholden. You have a fiduciary responsibility. Your names are on a ballot and you're elected. I mean, it's and so that post yesterday kind of sparked some interest. And Charlotte and I got to talking, and we're like, 
is this is this for real? Is I mean, really, is this where we are? And what are they going to do about it? So I'm going to turn it over to Charlotte to tell you what happened next. And then I want to talk about what happened next, which was really nothing. Yeah. Well, like Ryan said, um, we talked about it. And, you know, that I think was probably the most offensive of of the posts. Um, but it certainly wasn't the only offensive post. I mean, the the main post itself was divisive. Um, and then within the comments of that post, there were other inflammatory posts. There were uh, posts flat out accusing, quote unquote, Democrats of vandalizing this statue. With and no evidence, so, by the with way. With no evidence. No evidence. N- no one knows who did this. Um, it, it's, it's completely irresponsible to accuse anyone of vandalism when you don't know. And these that comment was under the Washington County um, Republican Committee header. So we thought, you know, something has to be done about this. It, it's just people are going, and, and you know, and I actually want to add, there were other people who were allowed to comment. There were other threats of violence and really aggressive posts from, from you know, regular people, but those posts were allowed to remain as well. So this whole thread, if you read it, it was extremely hateful. And we thought to ourselves, you know, something has to be done about this. So I reached out um, to members of the Maryland Republican Executive Board, um, Dirk Hare being one of them. And I also reached out to the Washington County Commissioners. And I just relayed, hey, this is what's going on. This is inexcusable. Um, at the, at the time we thought it was Jerry DeWolf who did it. And, and I was saying, if, if this is the chairman of, of the committee who's doing this, what does that say about the rest of the leadership? But it wouldn't be out of character either because he's made some pretty off the wall, uncanny remarks over the years. And I'm just saying that it would not be off. It would not be out of his character to write something as mm-hmm. what was written. Well, and, and, you know, he has also come on under his own name, onto my page and, and onto other pages and made comments like pound sand or, you know, we're not beholden to you radical liberals. Um, just really unrepentant. Um, you know, while, while the claim is that he is not the one that made that comment, he, he certainly is not denouncing the comment and, in fact, is pushing back. And they all seem to be pushing back and actually doubling down. And that's that's what I that's the point that I made, um, you know, speaking earlier to to Nordea um, is just that, you know, there's no accountability. It's like the Wild West. They feel that they can say and do whatever they want because there are no repercussions. So when you have a situation like that, you know, what are you to do? Uh, You go to higher level leadership and say, you you, got to rein this in because it looks like these people are representative of your whole party if you don't. Um, you have to call it out. Yeah. You have to call it out because it's wrong. Oh, thanks, Charlotte. And we'll talk a little bit more. So let's just break this up in a couple of different issues. The first is the the Confederate monuments. Okay, we're at the in Washington County. You're at the precipice of history. You you can to blast to the past, the Antietam battlefield. Would we all agree on this panel that Confederate monuments one should have never been erected in the first place to Confederate generals, and two, that they no longer belong in public spaces, but rather they should be 
shifted into the ash heap of history or placed onto a battlefield or onto uh, maybe into a museum. So I want to talk about that because that seems to be the the spark behind a lot of people's confusion. Uh, and it, 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 it and we hear all these weird different arguments. Like if you take down Confederate monuments, then we'll never ever remember history. Well, folks, I don't know about you, but I have never stood at the heel of a monument and said, holy cow, I have learned so much about a civil war that ensued that killed hundreds of thousands of our brother and ancestors uh, in the name of enslaving people because now we have forgotten our history. We're never going to forget our history because we have smartphones at our, at our fingertips to look at the rest of the... I mean, that's nonsensical and the logic. All right, so let me start with you, Kim. Confederate... Uh, okay, and then we'll go to you, Lauren. Kim, Confederate monuments, should they be in public spaces? Should they be, or should we remove them and relegate them to a battlefield and what do you make of that it's not something to be glorified by any means of the word um we're talking historically we're talking about people who were traitors to the united states committed treason yes um and not only that it took me five minutes today to look up the robert e lee statue in uh, antietam yes and to find out its historical inaccuracies. Um, there's a great article from three years ago from Politico when John Delaney um, was on this issue. And he was not on horseback riding through Antietam Battlefield. Um, from my understanding, he was in a ambulance carriage because he had a, a hand injury or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's historically inaccurate. Uh, it was it was put in place by a private citizen, um, and I think that the calls for removal are definitely justified. Yeah. If you don't know your history, I encourage you to pick up a book. And if you need any sort of reference to books to history, please contact me. Is it fair um, to say, though, that Confederate monuments that were erected to Confederate generals or Confederate soldiers and even down at Talbot County, they at the courthouse, yeah. they have something called the Talbot Boys. Mm-hmm. And we have Charlotte and I have mutual friends who are trying to push hard against that whole debacle. But look, wouldn't we agree that removing the statues that glorify people who committed treason in the name of enslaving African-Americans and to maintain that, what they call the Southern Pride— and then they say, well, it's our heritage. We can't remove. Folks, look, uh, this keyboard that's sitting in front of me is six and a half years old. All right. I bought it back in like 2014. It has a longer heritage than the freaking Confederacy. OK, <laughs> you, there is no heritage with the Confederacy. It, it's, it's goofy. It's a, that's a goofy argument. And I reject it outright. Lauren, what, what do you make of this? So. It's funny because I just actually had this conversation with my 14-year-old tonight. We were talking about the stars and the bars and the first flag, the second flag, and the third flag. And I come from an interesting background because I actually went to Washington and Lee University for my law school. That's great. So right now there's a big thing going on with Washington and Lee where they're talking about removing the name Lee from our law school because of Robert E. Lee. And that was Southwest Virginia. That's where I went. Um, So one of the things that I talked about to my son was 
and, and I gave him this example and I asked him to look it up on Google. Um, I said, go look on Google and tell me whether in Germany, and I know we're here, but in Germany, are there statues of Hitler? Hmm. And it was the closest thing I could come to that he could actually, you know, recognize as a 14 year old. And so when people say this is a part of our history, and if we get rid of these monuments, it will lose our history. Well, we've lost our history. How many people watching this podcast or on this podcast, for instance, knew about Juneteenth? I didn't, honestly, uh, until a, I didn't. That's a part of our history. I don't see anything about that. I know there's a slave block in Sharpsburg, yeah. you know, but I had to explain to my son what Juneteenth was. So while I understand the Civil War was a part of our history, I don't know that what it stood for is necessarily something we should celebrate. So, you know, I live X amount of miles from Antietam Battlefield. My birthday is actually the anniversary of the Antietam Battle, September 17th. Of course, I know that. Um, But it's one of those things where for me, you know, in, even in my in, in in the Washington County Circuit Court, we have um, unless they've taken them down during COVID, um, there are pictures of generals in Confederate uniforms. Right, that's where I go to court. In two thousand and twenty, you're going to court. In two thousand twenty, right. So I'm not saying we ignore necessarily the history that brought us to where we are today, but what I'm saying is. It's not necessarily something I should be or should be celebrated. When you talk about your heritage, this is my heritage. My son and I talked about, like I said, the three different flags. And if, if people are watching and they have no clue what I'm talking about, there was the original flag when the South was going to recede. There was another flag that was done. And then there was the stars and bars, which is what you see today, which was Jim Crow, the KKK, um, and a lot of other stuff that it was not necessarily associated with the original flag. So, um, you know, I don't think they should be graffitied, defaced, or anything like that. Do we remove them to a museum? Do we have a museum? Sure, but celebrated, you know, on view without acknowledging the other stuff that has happened. I don't see any monuments or flags or statues for Juneteenth or or anything along those lines. So you can't have one part of your history that is on display and should be protected and you completely ignore the other part of the history that created that first part of the history, if that makes sense. I think that's a great point. And I actually never thought of it that way before, and you ra- you laid that out so succinctly. Kate, the argument goes is that if we are removing statues, if that we are taking down certain elements of our nation's very checkered past of our what I think is our nation's original sin, which was slavery, people say, well, we're whitewashing history. We're, 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 it's the cancel culture. But on the other hand, we're taking the, the argument goes is that and I don't think I think we're beyond an argument. I think it's just logic that these are statues erected in glorifying people who fought in the name of enslaving folks like yourself by the but 
just because of the color of your skin. What do you say? What would you say to that? Well, first of all, um, the statues, the majority of them was erected during the civil rights movement in the 60s. Yeah. And they were, and that was the, the, the beat down, just like Trump recently, he had to have his first rally in Oklahoma. That, that's like the slap in our faces. Mm -hmm. And so to erect these statues at a time when, when in 1964, we were marching just to be able to vote. When if we look back into Maryland's history, in the 18, late 1800s, we had senator and congressmen that were black, that was African-American. Okay, when we were a part of the Republican Party. And so um, those statues was erected during a time when Maryland was also a part of the send us back to Liberia and, and to where they had started naming places in Liberia in Africa to send slaves and free slaves back. And so we have so many Caucasian people in history that we should not celebrate. Francis Scott Key, right here on Alder Street in Oakland, Garrett County, his house. It's the museum. Okay, so it's like a, it's not a museum, but it has this plaque out in front of it. But if you read, if you read the whole lyrics, all the lyrics to the Star Spangled Spangle Banner, it's not for me. It's not, it's not celebrating me being free. It's celebrating me being in bondage. If you look at I mean, he was the head of the ACS to send black people back to Africa. And, and even the slaves that was really, they were not as far removed as my grand, great grandmother. They didn't want to go back because how can you take me from someplace and then want to send me back with no direction, nothing. Some of the people that were born here in slavery, what do they know about Africa? See, so that's the part that the things that have happened and continue to happen, even with the playbook of, 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 um, of our current administration's campaign for, for the 2020 pregnant, um, presidency, it's all in places that we were, there was horrific riots against Black yeah. people. Yeah. So, so, so those subliminal messages that we're getting that that's going over our white allies heads and they're like why are you all upset <laughs> you look like huh because that that's why these, and see I'm, I'm 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 a 68 baby okay 1968 so and i'm originally from new jersey so i lived in suburban new jersey where we were taught after the 68 riots you don't go to newark so, so we're acting like we've never seen riots before. Um, and, and, and people are getting tired of the celebration. Oakland is the county seat. Oakland also had the largest Klan, the largest Ku Klux Klan. And so NRBNO Museum, I volunteer. And it took a white family from Pittsburgh to look at a DVD that we've been playing, that I'm instructed to play over and over again, of the Klan walking down 2nd Street. And all the people on the sidewalk, the children, um, cheering for them. Yeah. And so this white tourist said, you don't have a problem with that? And I never really paid attention. All I, 
you know, I didn't pay. I just looked away. She says, you play this over and over again since I've been here and it's glorifying the Klan. And I had to sit and think about it because it's things that go over my head. That's to say, well, that was then, but she's saying something that I didn't even pick up on. The climate of our country, how dare you all glorify the Klan? And you, you're a black woman, you're elected official. You can't talk to someone. And she don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here when I'm I'm talking, yes, I'm, and it's this, but these, the, the, the descendants of the Garretonians, their thing is, that's our history. So they don't want to take down their history of glorifying the Klan because that's what they did. Even though what the Klan did was very ugly. So so it's it's come to a, a thing where you have the seniors that are still prideful of their time. And and they don't want to remove things because they, they feel like we're covering them up. And like the lady said, you know, I'm not saying destroy them. I'm just saying, put another DVD in. Because now I'm explaining to my six-year-old white child that why are they happy about these people that you taught me was mean walking down the street. And so that's what we can't let go of. And and we have to, we have to, because that's why we got our children now in the streets, rebelling, rebelling to the highest because their voice is being heard. Kate, that's a teaching when we didn't teach them black history, but we're teaching them hateful history. Yeah, because basically that's what it boils down to. I want to come back to that point, but I'm going to do two things real quick. I'm going to pack. I'm going to patch in uh, another panelist, Takesha Martinez from Hagerstown. And then I want to go over to Chad and I want to talk to Chad a little bit about um, something that uh, Chad and I've talked about in the past. Uh And oftentimes and. Yeah, Chad and I were in the same rotary group, and we know what that was like, Chad. I mean, yeah. a bunch of old white guys that sit around a table, they eat lunch, and, and you know, but, and I've noticed this, is that they'll say, and I've heard them say this, and to me even, well, Chad Smith is, he's the first, they'll say, that, they'll say it in such a nice way, he's the first African-American businessman that I really know in this, in this, <laughs> and it's like, it's so condescending still, you know what I yeah. mean? Um, let me just patch in to Keisha. Um, and then I'll have her introduce herself, and then I want to go to that point over to Chad. Um, okay. Hi, Takesha. How are you? She is connecting to audio. Hello, everybody. Hi. How are you? So, real quick. I'm good. Quick, How are you guys doing? We're doing great. I appreciate you coming on. I know you're busy as well. You had another Zoom prior to this. Real quick, introduce yourself a little bit about what you do and a fun fact, and then I want to go over to Chad Smith to a point. And then I'll come back to you as we manage this panel discussion here on a minor detail podcast tonight. Sounds good. So sorry I'm late. Um, my name is Takesha Martinez. I am a local artist. Um, I do spoken word. I do poetry. I'm in poetry. I'm also a community mediator. Um, I work for Mediation First. Um, I'm also. I, I just do a lot of things. I'm a servant and I'm a professional counsel. Well, thank you. And I'm really pleased to have you on the panel. Chad, when we were in Rotary together at the Hagerstown Rotary, they do some really wonderful things. And not to knock Rotary International, it's a fantastic mm-hmm. organization. I got a lot out of it. You give back to the community. Um, 
but there's still a culture there. You walked into that room, and you you and I used to sit together, and sometimes those meetings were so boring. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. God love them, and they get the speakers. But, you know, you look around and you say, well, you know, is this – is this Washington County? And I'm just hoping you could share just some sentiments from your perspective. Man, where do I start? <laughs> the, um, as far as with, um, I've been uh, a local business owner for uh, the better part of about uh, the past 10, 11 years. <clears throat> and um, I've done pretty well. And, but the um, the main thing that I found with being an African American business owner is that um, if you speak about things that are of uh, concern to African Americans, it's like people are quick to want to shut you up. Hmm. So uh, the more that I speak about uh, like uh, the issues with uh, black Americans and law enforcement, or the things that, or 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 uh, economic imbalances with uh, uh, with uh, black Americans, or anything that concerns racism, and even just the slightest bit, is like people just want you to shut up, right? And and they'll use supporting your business as leverage uh, mm. to 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 keep you quiet, right? And there was a, you know, I was married to, I was married to, you know, a white woman for, for about 10 years. And she had an issue with me talking about these things because it, it, it was, she thought it would threaten our business. And, you know, and people have told me, you know what, you should just be quiet because, you know, you're going to lose your business uh, if you keep talking about these things. And, you know, that offends me on, and it angers me on multiple levels because, you know, the fact that, you know, just because I'm a business owner, I shouldn't talk about things that concern and oppress people is offensive. The fact that uh, someone would say that they are disappointed in me because I point out uh, a terrible tragedy that that has that befallen an African-American at the hands of law enforcement, you know, that's offensive to me, you know, or the fact that I point out uh, uh, the fact that there are economic, uh, extreme economic imbalances uh, between African Americans and uh, Caucasian Americans, and the fact that I'm supposed to be quiet or because I own a business and because it might hurt my business, because you know I might offend white people, you know, in Washington County, it's offensive to me, you know. Uh, so that's been the biggest experience for me just as an african-american business owner is that um people who are uncomfortable talking about racial issues will be quick to use your business as a point of leverage into quieting your voice and uh that uh will dismay that will dissuade other african-american business owners from speaking truth to power or speaking about things that they're legitimately concerned about as far as being, you know, a black man or a black woman in America, it's because, you know, you know, your way of life or your income will be immediately threatened because people don't want to talk about it. They would much rather stop doing business with you rather than have an honest discussion about the real problems that are going on in America. Wow. Chad, thanks for sharing that. And I know that 
Yeah, I mean, I you join a group like Rotary, and I don't. I'm not picking on Rotary by any means because there's mm-hmm. some really wonderful and fantastic people. But to your point, when they say, "Well, we're gonna," We're going to make sure that we patron Chad's business, and that's kind of like a facade or a shield that they're they still they still we all have a lot of learning as a as a white man. I have to better understand how to ask the right questions and how mm-hmm. to talk to my friends and neighbors of color so that we can get through this as a country because we can't just hold our arms like this. And while one segment of the population says there's nothing wrong, while other while the other segment of the population is practically begging us to say, we've been saying this for years, but you're not listening. What do we have to do? What the hell do we have to do to make you understand? Thus is where we are with the Black Lives Matter movement. And we Black Lives Matter, they they they've gotten pushback. I've seen Republicans call them anything short of a terrorist group to Marxist, there's grand conspiracy theories. All of you have probably seen it. Some mm-hmm. social media, social media is toxic. It, it often doesn't lead to productive conversations. And in the last year, I said to myself, I'm going to be 35 years old this November. I'd be old enough to run for president. God help me. Um, <laughs> I, I said to myself, I, I could, you could get into these long threads of social media conversations where you're just back and forth. It's the least productive thing that I can think of spending with my time. I'd rather host Zoom discussions and podcasts and talk to thoughtful people about how we can solve these problems. And I want to say this. We invited some of our friends from the other side. And I and by that I mean Charlotte reached out to all of the Republicans. I haven't heard from them. They were invited to come on. And have this conversation because what some of their and the reason why we invited them is because some of their social media posts, some of their actions, it doesn't reflect people who are willing to better understand people of color. That's the goal of this podcast. Here's why. Here's why it's in my opinion. Here's why. Because truth hurts. Right. So when a lot of times when uh, a lot of my. uh, my white friends, you know, when we talk about racial issues is they do not want to confront the fact that their white ancestors were horrible human beings. They don't want to, they don't want to hear about it. So now, no matter how many times you say, listen, what your ancestors did does not reflect you who you are, but the things they put in play absolutely still affect African-Americans today and it needs change. But the, they can't separate those racist policies, those racist laws, those racist actions from who they are today. They immediately feel like we're trying to blame them and that's not what the thing is. So rather than listen and take responsibility for what has happened in the past, right? And say, you know, because like it or not, you do have white privilege. It's a fact. Like just because you're white, it gives you a ticket to a lot of things that we don't have tickets to. It's a fact. It can't be denied. So use that privilege, you know, to help bring up the people who have had a foot on their neck for 400 years. So it, it, it's not an indication of your guilt. 
it's an indication, it's an acknowledgement of what has happened and that needs to be corrected. So use what you have to correct what has happened and help bring people up to a level to where we can actually be competitive. So you know, but 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 they can't separate that from them from their own guilt. I've had people say, well, you know, I don't want to be made to feel guilty. We're not trying to make you feel guilty. We're asking for your help. It's like, you know, you can't deny the uh, the fact that we've been put behind, right, through racist actions, laws, uh, uh, and, and policies for for so many, <clears throat> for so many, so many generations. So it's like, if you know that, so just as a human being, why wouldn't you want to correct that? Yeah, Chad, I want to, and thank you, that is very salient points that you just made and a lot to unwind right there. And it seems like sometimes when, when I hear from people of color and when we, when we have these discussions and when they say, and they, they use that phrase, white privilege, it almost is like a game stopper sometimes where they're like, well, you know, what does that even mean? And I'm hoping that we can unpack that tonight. And when I've, first i didn't really figure it out until oh, i didn't really start figuring these issues out until my 30s and when we heard these phrases i mean white white privilege sort of sums it up succinctly me as a white man driving down and i'll give you an example driving down interstate 270 when i was 18 19 years old i was <laughs> i had a my, i was a fortunate kid my, my my parents, as an only child, they gave me everything. I was spoiled rotten. And to this day, I I regret it. I regret it. It's not their fault. I mean, I think they, mm-hmm. and they were really, so, they were solid parents. They instilled great values in me. But, you know, I was driving this lime, not a lime green, but it was an emerald green 1998 5 Series BMW. No kid at 16 years old should have had that. And I'm driving down, and I'm I was going to Tucson. I was, it was, I was coming back from college somewhere, and I was seeing my buddy who was at the University of Maryland. And I, I was speeding in Interstate 270. You know where the it forks from Frederick into 270, right? Yeah. So I got pulled over, over there, right? And I was pulled off on the side of the road. And I'll still remember this moment from the day that I died. <clears throat> that uh, a police officer, a state police officer, he walked up to me and asked me for my license and registration. Now, granted, it was, it's probably like. 1.30 in the morning. Now, I hadn't been drinking or anything. Um, I had a case of beer in the back. Shouldn't have had it. Had a case of beer in the back. It was stupid, right? I was a kid. I was dumb. Stupid. Officer walks up. He calls up back up, and he asked me to get out of the car. And I said, okay, why? And he's, he said, uh, you got a taillight out? And I said, okay, fine. And uh, didn't search me. Looked at the taillight had another officer there and he said Mr. Minor he looked at my license he said Mr. Minor he goes I'm going to let you off with a warning tonight and I said a warning he goes you seem like a well spoken nice young man and it didn't hit me until my 30s that situation probably would not have gone the same if it were a young man of color or a young woman of color that's the privilege that we have they don't you- have to be young yeah, I've experienced the same thing. You sound like a nice-spoken young man. I'll never forget that to the day I die. And honestly, I don't think I've ever told that story out loud. It's just kind of been with me for this long. Ryan, I have a similar story. I Sorry, mean, Charlotte. 
speaking to privilege, this, the same exact sort of thing, same exact sort of thing. I, I, you know, I haven't been pulled over too much because I'm a very slow and cautious driver. <laughs> My twenties were some bad years. I just, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I'm not a risk taker. So, um, but I, I was pulled over. I mean, anytime, the very few times that I was, um, always warnings. I never thought a thing about it. Like, Oh, you know, it'll be fine. I'll just, you know, Oh, I'm so sorry. And I'll just get a warning. And that's what happened. And I had one incident. I was, gosh, I was, I was going through a divorce and I had my littles or actually my big kids in the back. And I got pulled over because I was texting, which I should not have been doing. Um, and I said, I said to the officer, I said, Oh, you know, I'm so sorry. Um, and I was a little disgruntled. I was supposed to meet a friend at the park to have a play date with the kids. I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I was just texting her that I'm late, which was true. And he's like, okay, okay, well, can I have your license and registration? And I give him my license and I'm digging and I can't find my registration and I'm digging. And he's like, well, I'll just go back to the car. And I like, I just was so scattered. I wasn't thinking I found the registration and I hopped out of the car and like start trotting down to the police car. Like I have my registration. (laughs) And you know, like he could have been like, "Whoa, what are you doing?" Lauren yeah. is a public defender. It's like Jesus, you did everything wrong right there. I know, I know, but I, you know, so I'm like, "Here it is, here it is," and I, he's like, "Okay, okay, just go." You know, we're on the side of the road. You should go back in the car. And I'm like, "Okay," and I had said, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm going through a divorce," and I got back in the car. He comes back. He gives me a warning. He says, "I." You know, this is a warning. Don't do it again. And by the way, I don't know what your husband did, but wow, he made a mistake. And I'm like, what? Hey. what? Like that was my treatment from this officer. And I'm like, okay, on my merry way. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Takesha, as someone in your position, you talk to people for a living and you make sense of these complicated issues and you get people together and you help them understand these complex, nuanced issues. We've talked tonight about symptoms of race. We've talked about, we've given anecdotes of what happens in Western Maryland. And look, Western Maryland's it's it's a really great place to raise kids. It's it's a nice place. I if I could move to Garrett County tomorrow or to to the Eastern Shore, we would. We're 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 kind of stuck here for right now yeah. In, yeah. in Montgomery County, but. I, I think it's just I, I was blessed as a kid to have wonderful parents and grandparents who raised me and wonderful friends. I I will never I will always, always, always remember my roots in Western Maryland. I'll never forget them. I mean, it's it's who I am. It's my DNA. But we have to be able to talk to one another. We have to be able to initiate conversations without clenched fists, without anger. And we have to be able to listen to one another, especially people of color. And that's where people have to be willing to talk and not go into a conversation, Takesha, with pre, a predisposition. People have to open their minds. And I think that we're just not there yet as a country. I mean, that's why we see so much anger and hostility and toxicity on social media, because people are given a screen to say whatever the hell they want. And it ruins relationships and friendships, and it's just really, really mean and vile stuff. But how do we start talking to one another? White people, black people, Latino, 
How do we do it? What's the way to do it? it, it it's, definitely, it's definitely not an easy way. So I think that that's the first thing that people got to understand is like, it's not an easy conversation. So if it's already going to be uncomfortable, then when that first offense comes, we know that we're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere then. You know, when Chad, when Chad was talking earlier and he said, um, um, people get um, offended or easily offended, right? And they think that saying that it's you, you did it whenever we're pointing out injustices or we're pointing out things that are systematically wrong. The thing is, everything is not about you. Like, so not even for you to feel the way you're feeling right now. That's not what I said. That's what you heard. What you heard hurts your feelings. It still, it doesn't matter. It's not about you right now. Other people's destinies are attached to all of us. So if we get stuck right now in this moment because you offended me and I offended you and now we can't get nowhere, neither one of us can be a bridge. So it, it, and then what happens is we go back and we do more damage instead of being able to have uncomfortable conversations. Hey, white people ask me all the time, Takesha, tell me about or help me understand. And the moment that I start to talk, you you over talk. They over talk. You, you mm -hmm. understand? So if you already got it figured out, then what did you come ask the question for? So, so sometimes you do got to talk, but you got to listen. So, and, and, and listen without offense, right? So I'm a mediator. So I've been trained and this is not like, it's something that has been just so easy all these years for me, you know, especially growing up here and with as much trauma as I have. And I was, I was easily offended, offended by everything. Everything was because I was black. Everything was because I was a black woman. You, you know, everything was because I got, I got kids and I'm not married. But uh, really what was happening was, I, I just need to be able to understand, like you need to be able to understand what's happening in the midst of conflict. In the midst of conflict, you are saying things that matter to you and that you value and that you, how you're feeling. And I am saying things that matter to me and how I'm feeling. Who's wrong? If we're both, if we're both real in our moment, right? Like who's wrong in that? So the thing is being able to have that conversation and be able to push past it. And pushing past it is the hard part. It's not, it's not easy when I got to sit down with my daughter who's 20 and be able to listen to her tell me some hard truths, you know? Like, I can't see it from her perspective right now. That's the same with a white woman. If we sitting down and we talking, you may not, you got to let me be able to, to express it. Then we go from there, you know? It's, it's the same in relationships, period. Yeah. Um, Lauren, and then I want to go up to Kim. So go ahead, Lauren. So I, I think uh, piggybacking on what Takesha is saying is one of the things is that's very painful um, and, and people who are in the mental health field and everything, and I, I know you guys are like, where is she going? But just like, hear me out. <clears throat> so people who are in the mental health field learn about primary and secondary trauma, okay? So secondary trauma is when you are reliving, whether it's your own trauma or somebody else's trauma. So one of the things that is very hard for people of color is when somebody who is not a person of cover, color comes to me and asks me to explain the racism that I've, I've faced, uh, what my children have dealt with, what I've dealt with and everything like that. Because when you're asking me that, first of all, you're asking me to relive a trauma that I have already experienced. And you're asking me to do that for your benefit. It's not my job 
to teach you what a microaggression is. It's not my job. If you want to learn what it is, you can learn what it is. But when you're doing that to me, what you're asking me to do again, like I said, is relive a trauma, number one. And number two, you're asking me to speak for black people. I have a unique experience, which is completely different from Chad, Keisha, Kate, completely different. I grew up in Montgomery County. I was raised, I was adopted. I was raised by a Quaker and a Jewish banker, okay? I used to come to to Washington County when I was in high school and I was like, dude, I'm not living here. Little did I know, 15 plus years ago, I was building a house here so I could raise my children because this is where I wanted to be because it was a rural atmosphere. But I bring different things to my black experience than Kate does, than Chad does, than Dakisha does. So when I deal with these microaggressions on a daily basis, it is burdensome. It is tiring. But at the same time, I know that I need to have this conversation. I need to have this conversation with my children. I need to have this conversation with my colleagues. And I will tell you this very clearly. As unique as Washington County is, okay? okay. And so we and so went we into went this into with Chad. Chad and I kind of had a little back and forth on, on Facebook. Cause I'm like, I'm like, Chad, what are you talking about? Like there's, there's a whole, there's a little one. It was a little one, it was a little one. But I've been a practicing black attorney in Washington County since 2004. I became a public defender in 2007 because that's what I believe is a calling. I represent the people of Washington County and I know who I represent and I represent them with a zealousness that's required. That's my daughter in the back corner. Um, <laughs> say hi, Kira. Hi, Kira. Um, hi, Kira. So there's Kira. That's, and, and that's, that's also my reality. That's my daughter. That's my 11 year old child. Um, so you're not my favorite child. So anyway, so but what I'm saying is, so I'm in the criminal justice system every day. So I know what my bench looks like. I know what my district court bench looks like. I know what my circuit court bench looks like. And I know that I have been in court and I have had people say to me, I didn't realize you could be so articulate. Hmm. That's a microaggression. Why, as a black person, can't I be articulate? I had somebody check to make sure I went to Washington Lee School of Law because it was a top 20 law school. Sorry, they let in black people in the 70s. This is 2020. I'm having to tell my child, you saw my child just look like. My son looks pretty much like her, except he has blonde hair. I have to sit there and tell my children that I am glad you don't look like me because you will never be followed. You will never be stopped while black and it is 2020. Now, let me also make this point and I'm very clear about this. In this county, in any county, in any country, wherever you're dealing with, you're gonna have good folks and you're gonna have bad folks, okay? I'm not saying people are inherently racist. What I'm saying is there was a lot of microaggressions that people may not realize they are taking on, but for the most part, 
in Washington County. Our law enforcement is well-trained and we have responsive people listening and our bench listens. It's not as diverse as we want it to be, but we have two females on the bench. And yes, Chad, I put my name in a couple of times, trying, trying. <laughs> but what I'm saying is there is so much. And one of the things that's very burdensome for me is when people ask me, like when all this stuff happened with George Floyd, I got about six phone calls from six of my white friends. They wanted to make sure I was okay. No, I'm not. I'm tired. I'm tired. We did this four years ago. We did this in the 60s. I wasn't here, but we've been doing this. So I think piggybacking on Takesha, the most important thing is, is to open that dialogue. And if you don't know, educate yourself. I'm educated. Yeah. Thank you. That was, wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to go up to Kim, who is in my Brady Bunch circle or square up in my top left <laughs> corner. Um, Kim is, as a leader in Washington County, you're, you're managing a complex entity in the a Democratic Central Committee. And the Democratic Party, based on my understanding, I'm, I've never been a Democrat because I'm an independent and I'm, I, uh, it's just easier that way for me. <laughs> Although the Democrats have at multiple occasions said, we welcome you. Come on over. Come on over. Come on over. And I said, I just, I'm, 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 cu I'm cushy here right now. I don't like, I'm, you know, but that's besides the point. Maybe some of you can recruit me after this show. Um, Kim, does the Democratic Party in Washington County, is it reflective of the holistically of the community? What what are you struggling with as the chairwoman? Um, we definitely need more diversity. Yeah, more experience and the more different people that look, like, that look different than me at the table is so important. Um, and that's why when we have uh, different things in the community, I really try to go and get those different perspectives. And I have, we have some vacancies on our central committee right now. Um, I have been pushing really, really hard for a lot um, of diversity in my short amount of time that I've been in here. Um, and I'm not, and I'm, and like I said, I'm not going to lie and say that we we don't need more because we absolutely do. We always will. Um, and I encourage people to show up. I encourage people to know who we are, um, as well as everybody else, and to hold them accountable. And something that happened that was touched on earlier about cancel culture, um, with what's happening in our county. Um, some people call it cancel culture, and I call it accountability. Um, what was said is absolutely barbaric. Um, and I'm really, really sick of uh, people getting a pass on it. I, I, I'm, I'm in my 20s and I, and I can tell people um, that the kids are all right. Younger people 
are that we're going to be okay in the long run. And I genuinely believe that. But right now we are in a county that is ran by uh, the good old boys who have always been here, who think they will always be here. Um, and we need young people to come, to come out. It's very easy to get involved. I got involved locally uh, in a tw uh, during 2018. It's very easy and it's important. Um, and this, this conversation should be uncomfortable and it should continue to be uncomfortable until we have enough people at our table that represent different perspectives. So I'm not going to lie and say that we are we are a diverse group of Democrats, but I would really, really like to be. And I think it's important, especially with this election coming up, with pushing 20% of an African-American community, our elected bodies need to look like the bodies they serve. And I, and I genuinely believe that. Well, Kim, I appreciate that. And I know that your job, it is, as, as the chairwoman of, of an extremely diverse Democratic Party, and that's it's it's no you came in at a tumultuous time i'll, I'll say that yeah and so you your hands are are tied in some circumstances but we all want to see in our political system a greater diversity which raises the point how many of us and kate you may know this as well because you're you're probably familiar with a lot of the western maryland folks too how many of us can name a single african american elected official in washington county only been one, to my knowledge, uh, with the Hagerstown City Council, uh, Alicia Parsons. She's been the only one. That's it in the entire history of, of, of the county. I've looked, and she's the only one. That's and where I live in Montgomery County. Ever. Yeah, it, and that's troubling, right? Why is it that? Why? Why will people? Why do people of color in Washington County feel like they can't? Or place their name on a ballot, or rather, they place their name on a ballot, and it doesn't always end well for them. I can I can chime in on part in, in part if I can, and I, obviously, I'm not running for any elected position. I love what I do. I I love my clients. I love where I work. Um, but I can tell you that, um, and I tell you this from a professional perspective. So when I go into court and I have a client who wants a jury trial, okay, and this, it'll make sense in a second. And my client is sitting next to me and they're brown like me. And, and, and let me be clear again, I have wonderful working relationships with the majority of people in Washington County. So, and, and that's probably, that's probably me. I don't know, but my clients sit next to me and they look at the jury panel. Okay, so we got like, I don't know what it's going to look like after COVID. I ain't going to lie. But they look and there's 60 people sitting in the box. Okay, we're in courtroom one. 60 people sitting in the box. There's four people of color sitting in the box. Okay, four. So my, my, my clients usually pick up certain uh, keywords. Jury of my peers, speedy trial, et cetera, et cetera. And they're, Ms. Villa, where is my jury of my peers? And I'm like, I've stopped asking, what are you talking about? Because I know what they're talking about. They want to know where the brown people are in the courtroom that's going to sit on their jury that looks like them. And I have to explain to them that for Washington County, Washington County picks from two pools. 
We pick from uh, driver's licenses. So if you are registered to drive a car in Washington County, and we pick from voter registration. So if people of color are not registering, getting driver's licenses or registering to vote, they are not gonna be sitting on that jury pool. So I think the same thing translates to when you're looking and saying, why are people of color not running? I think in part is because they don't see a representative body that looks like them. And they're not necessarily maybe sure what to do about it, who to talk to. There's a lot of people out there who don't realize that even if you've been convicted of a crime, you can vote. If you have any questions, please DM me on my Facebook. I can teach you how to register to vote, just as a footnote. But I think one of the reasons, because here's the thing, I can tell you this firsthand. So I'm on a couple of boards in the city. Um, I've got my social, my one of my best friends who's on the staff on the board at Robert Johnson Community Center. God love you, Renee. Um, plenty of people who are on plenty of boards. They're involved with voting. Um, they're working with the city council on different, because we're obviously voting right now. And they're going downtown and they're going into the Jonathan Street area and they're going into the West End and they're going into the South End and they're going everywhere. And people don't realize we can vote. Our vote counts. Our vote matters. And unless we're willing to stand up and use our voices to make a change, nothing's going to change. And until they start seeing people who look like them, which is why, Ryan, thank you for adding me, because I'm there five days a week in the Washington County Circuit Court. They just don't necessarily think it can be them. You know, God bless Takesha. God bless Tiara. I know she's not on here today. And I know there's one more person I missed. I'm forgetting her name. But I think that's one of the reasons. Like, first of all, Kim, Kate, reach out to me because I'm a loud voice and I'm a presence in Washington County. But I just really think that people don't see people that look like them, so they don't think they can do it. Great point. And it's a self-defeating prophecy, which is part of systemic racism, which continues to perpetuate itself. Yeah. Yeah. I want to just yeah. real quick, I, I want to go over to Charlotte. Um, and then I'll I'll come over to you, Takesha. Okay. Charlotte, you as a business owner, and I've asked you this question point blank i said are you ever concerned about the stances that you take would harm the business right and every time unfailingly like clockwork you say no i'm not you know it's it's who we are you took a stand in the aftermath of of george floyd dan's tap house is on the map and always was on the map for great food and beer but (laughs) boonesboro is still a town that is a great destination in fact, I hear Boonesboro, I hear people from where I live in Montgomery County and even in PG County, all over the state, they say, we hear this Boonesboro, it's just a really neat little place. And it's just unique. It feels like a small town. There's, there's plenty to do in the surrounding areas. But it's backwards, about 10 to 15 years. You live there, you know it. And another, you know, and I want to just touch on two things. One is that you seem 
fearless to call out people, even in the position as a business owner. And Chad also mentioned it. You know, it's like, you, what do you do? I mean, you, you either do, some people I've always heard this and I grew up in a small business and my stepfather, my former stepfather, whatever, was a he owns a heating and air conditioning company. And he would he would get so pissed off at me. If I ever took a stand, because God forbid I say anything that hurts the business. And at a certain point, you just got to say, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, and, and mm-hmm. you know what? I know that some employers, you, you have to abide by what your employers say. And pardon my language, but sometimes, you know, that's why I was just, I want to go in business for myself. Because then I can do whatever the hell I want. And then I can take whatever <laughs> stances that I want. And I can run the business the way that I want. But there were times where just like, what are you so worried about? What people think? You know, and Charlotte, you've taken some some tough stances. And one thing that you, I've learned from you is that you've got to call this stuff out, right? Yesterday, on a Saturday, in the middle of July, one of the hottest freaking days, you could be doing anything else, <laughs> you and I were talking all day as I was putting together a story. You and I were working together to figure out what is the best way and what is the best method to put out information about someone who is an elected office, no less, that took a stance on a, a Facebook post and to, to put that information out there so voters can make the decision. And why is it that so many people are afraid to call this out? Why? I often wonder that. Charlotte, what's the deal? Why are people like, you know, they're so hesitant to, to actually speak mm-hmm. up for what's right is right. And what Ray Folds did yesterday was reprehensible. That was that was a really bad moment for the Republicans. What's going to happen to Ray Folds? Nothing. Is Neil Parrott going to call him out? Is, is I it- hope so. I asked him to. And he is in possession now of all of Mr. Foltz's private messages to me. So based on that, I would be very disappointed if he didn't have something to say. Well, I just, I give you credit. You put it out there. You're fearless. You're unafraid. But it's not <laughs> easy. You get blowback. I don't, it's not really, I don't think it's really about being unafraid. Um, I, I don't think it's that. I just think <clears throat> it's about, you know, I, I mean, and we've talked about this before. I, I, it's just about being a good friend, you know, it's, and it's about, for me too, just being a, being a model. Like I said, I have four kids. It's really important to me to model for them the kind of friend that they should be and the, and, and that they should use their voices for good. And that really drives me. Um, you know, I know right now two of them are older and they're starting to see, I mean, they're very conscientious and my little ones don't see, but they will. Um, and that's always been a driving force for me. It's really important. Um, I think a lot of people don't necessarily speak out when they own a business or, you know, just in general, um, uh, you know, I know it was mentioned a lot of times people don't know what to say or they don't know where to start. Um, but I think another thing that's become all too common is a lot of people just get along to get along. And that's the path of least resistance. Um, and I mean, we've talked about this too. I've had, I had one particular commenter told me weeks ago, just stay in your lane and make food, mm. <laughs> you know? And I was like, 
and and we we talked about this. I, I said <laughs> equality and social justice is everybody's lane. It's everybody's lane. And if you have a position where you have a little bit more of a platform in a community and you believe something and you don't use it, um, that's irresponsible. And it's unkind. It's unkind. If you know that there's harm being done and people are, you know, feeling pain and you don't do something about it, um, like I just said, that's just not being, that's not being a kind friend. And, and that's really, I know I'm putting it in very, very simple terms, but that's what it is to me. That's the way I explain it to my kids. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that. And just to that point, and then I'm going to go over to, to Keisha, our businesses and certain organizations, these are the foundations in the community. This is the, this is where the systematic process begins, right? And if a business comes out, that's one more step right? Think about it. You, you, we have certain institutions inside of our communities, certain people who are behind those institutions. In Washington County, um, there's a familiar feeling about some of these places, whether it be a business or a prominent businessman, uh, a, a community leader. I mean, imagine, and I'm not, I don't want to put the onus on anybody, and I just, but just imagine for a moment, that someone like Don Bowman came out and said, we're behind this cause. We're going to support our friends of color. And I'm just, and I, I don't want to put him on the spot because Don Bowman has done a lot of wonderful yeah. things for the community. But, I, and I'm just, I'm using that just as a peripheral example. That, but if, so, but these are the institutions in communities of wealthy white men, especially. But if it just takes one or two, to say, we're going to stand up for what we know is right. We're not going to be afraid, and we're going to keep doing it. And the hell of people if we lose customers or business, because what's right is right. At the end of the day, we have to be able to look, if we have kids, our kids in the face and say, we were at the moment, we were at a precipice in history. We were at a crossroads, and we took the right steps. And we look at someone like civil rights hero John Lewis, who just passed away. And you look at his life as a motion picture almost, and what he did crossing that Edmund Pettus Bridge, what he did, beaten, solid, ridiculed, demoralized. These are the heroes that some of our students today, I don't even know who they are. Mm. And that's fundamentally wrong in our country and it takes people like all of you to move the needle and it may not happen overnight but you can see right now step by step by step we are bending the arc of history into a position where we're not going to be morally compromised in the future Takesha, over to you i was gonna i was gonna um talk about the voting. And I think that, you know, um, I think that what happens is, it, so I'm from, I'm born and raised in Hagerstown. Um, and I didn't know who a mayor or who the mayor was. And so I like left and went to Baltimore and came back. So I never paid attention to any of that stuff. The mayor, city, I didn't even know how many people, I didn't even know what it looked like locally, right? Like so I came back with 
with, and I was probably 32 years old. I think I've been back 10 years now that I really like was like, whoa, Dave Geisberg's, um, you know, when he was the mayor, I, that, that kind of was like, whoa, like, oh, wow, I know somebody in politics. So I'm saying that to say, born and raised, grew, grew up here, I've raised children here. The only time I've ever seen or heard from a politician in my community was when it was time to get people registered to vote when it was almost voting time. There are issues every single day. There are things that happen in the community every single day that we need We need somebody to be able to speak to about, right? Like, and I get it now to where it's like, well, it's easy to walk down there, go and, and see where I can, I know where Bob has breakfast at, you know what I mean? Like you, 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 it's it, now I see what it is, but then you, you didn't feel connected. Not only that, I would strongly, strongly suggest stop going trying to get register the same year that it's time to vote. Like why not, why not make that be a every day, all the time thing? Because it looks so phony and it feels so phony. And I, and, I, and, I, and I have to say it, right, even now as a political candidate, I feel, it feels phony to me to say, hey, vote for me. It just, it feels like, it feels phony to me. Uh, because at the end of the day, a public servant is a public servant. You are to serve. That's what you get elected to do is to serve. So if I didn't know who was who, how, how are you serving everybody in the town? You know, and and even with the we talking about what the court looks like being a mediator in the court now, like, wow, it feels different walking into the courthouse now. Like it feels different. But I still look around and be like, whoa, like, man, I used to come in. Even if I came with somebody else, I'd be like, oh, my God, my stomach would be in knots. I'd be feeling like, oh, somebody's either going to jail or somebody like it's just something or rent court. Something's not right. Right. And then my whole life shifts. And now I'm walking in as a mediator and I'm like, wow, like, wow, like it really it really hasn't been because I was black. Right. Like that, that it took to 42 to get to to doing the things that I do and, and, and serve in the way that I serve. It had to do with me being aware of where I was at. And also exactly where the power lies. And it doesn't really lie in whether you're black or white or not. The thing about it is, too, I can't come home from work and talk about everything that happened at work with my friends. Because guess what? I said this the other night. It creates more unrest. It just creates more conflict. It just makes people just not even want to be a part of anything, not want to get involved. But guess what? If somebody who, who doesn't like me goes home and starts talking about to about what's happening to all their friends and it and they're they're white and they, they have people in position of power, it can begin to hurt me. And that's what happens to leadership in Washington County to people of color. What happens is those those same hundred people who all run together, who all are all all friends and all whatever, that's what happens is that we don't understand business is business. Right? Listen, this is what it is. Integrity is integrity. You're always going to lose something if you stand up for righteousness. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. So as we begin to hit the 1030 mark, which we'll, we're going to go ahead and just go full circle and, and round out the discussion with each panelist, and we'll try to get you out of here by 1030, um, there's gonna, it's going to take a lot more of these Zoom conversations and maybe socially distanced 
face-to-face conversations, but I think that we made some headway tonight. I think this was productive. I think it was, we talked to one another like adults talk to one another, and we don't always get that. I, I have always craved conversation. I love conversation. I love learning from others, and I think this is the beginning steps where we thousands of people all across the country should be doing these types of discussions, or at least I hope that they are. And in communities like Washington County, it's going to take a lot more. But I think people have to be, they have to want to have these conversations. And I, I, don't, I don't want to bring it back because Washington County is so much bigger than just a Republican Central Committee. It, it, it's, it's, there's some really, truly wonderful human beings who live there. And I know that because I, you know, being born and raised there, I, I just, some, my, my best memories of my life were spent in Washington County, Western Maryland. But, you know, you look at people like in the Republican Central Committee and you see what their social media is. You see their attitudes and you just wonder, what are they holding on to? What are they holding on to that is so paramount to their lives that they can't see progress, that they can't necessarily advance uh, civil rights, civil liberties? Wasn't the Republican Party the party of you know, protecting civil liberties, protecting civil rights. And you know, you, then you see these memes that they share. I mean, what, Charlotte, you saw it today. It was, mm-hmm. it was some post like where they say, well, who, was, who started the KKK? Democrats. Who did the, you know, who? And it's like, if they, yeah, I'm a, like Kim and many, many others, I, I have an undergrad political science degree. And while I should have paid a lot more attention in my undergrad, um, you know, as a 21-year-old kid who thinks he knows the world, uh, I, politics evolve. Parties change. The movements shift. People change. And for bogus arguments, intellectually dishonest arguments that Democrats founded the KKK, well, now it's the Democrats who are abolishing and taking down the goddamn statues. Okay? Enough. Enough of that. We've got to get past the intellectual dishonesty, too, uh, that's rooted in just naked partisanship. I am so tired of naked partisanship. That is truly what is ruining the country. It prevents people from having dialogue. And it's like, oh, well, you know, it stops at the edge of the water when they say, oh, well, so-and-so's a liberal. We can't talk to him. So-and-so's a conservative. We can't talk to him. Well, so-and-so's a person. I mean, mean, people's they got to stop identifying by who they voted for in the last election and start identifying as with human human traits. I mean, it's just nonsense. So that was my spiel. Kate, we're going to go around the uh, the Brady Bunch squares here. And uh, I'll give you... I want to you... reflect back on everything that everyone has stated. And as an elected official here in Garrett County... It was ugly. It was ugly because even though I marched in every Democratic parade supporting the party that I am affiliated with, they did not support me when I ran. It was like crickets. Mm. Um, they didn't even talk to me. And even when they're the ones that said we need someone to run, but they just didn't want me to run. They want. They even brought in a seventeen-year-old that's not even old enough to register to vote. Wow. 
run. So you see what I'm saying? So my part was I got very hurt when for four years I've been called that nigga. Or, and then for the last year, I'm pointing out at parades and everything, and that's the nigga in office. But you didn't see that Black Lives Matter until George Floyd? I've been here crying about how hate hurts for four years and telling all the, because I'm, I, the, how I became, I'm not someone that just um, realized that was black. I've been doing this ever since 91 when Rodney King. I'm old. And so I came here as a director from a victim service program that was dealing with hate crimes and other things, other victimization. So I came here, not someone that came from under a rock. And so for the Democratic Party to treat me, so it's like, well, where, well, where do I belong? If, if I can't get support from the party who says they're for everyone, <clears throat> and then I can't go to the a Republican Party meeting, where do, so where do I belong? So, so, and the thing was, I was told I didn't belong here. You need to go move to Hagerstown. You know, you all have Jones Street and you or you need to go to Cumberland because, you know, you know, you have the underground inside the churches and more people like you or Frostburg. No, I need to stay right here. And the more you tell me to leave, the more I plant roots. I'm not going nowhere and I'm going I'm definitely not going nowhere because you want me to go. So there. Um, and then. Ryan, when people, I, I love it when my, I have a lot of white friends, white friends that, um, that are very, very like family because I have no family here. I came here to run from an abusive marriage, started all over and stayed with no one. And so when they say to me, Kate, you know, I want you to meet this friend. Every friend, Ryan, every white friend that you know, don't think like you. They could be wonderful people because I've met some wonderful people. But when it came down to me going into their business and because my my good white friend said, oh, go see them. And then I get to their business and they treat me like I'm the plague. That's what white people got to understand, that everyone that you talk to and think that's a good white person, they don't like me. They don't like this color. And then I've had to depart from some white people here that love me. Love the hell out of me, but hate my race. You can't. I can't do that with you. I can't do that. I can't. I can't have you in my life, and you okay with me because to to you, I'm a good black person. So you don't know them. Then I've been told I'm an anomaly. That's crazy. Evidently, the the man didn't think that I knew the definition. So you mean to tell me that you're 76 years old, and you've never seen an intelligent, educated black person? So how am I anomaly? Is this the Twilight Zone, Garrett County? Because it seems like it. We are even not in the museums here in Garrett County. <clears throat> you would think there was never black people here, but we got a African American church that was stolen from the from the black people when they went marching up to their church one Sunday morning. White white men was taking it apart brick by brick, and this was in the early 1900s. So we've been here since 1850. But 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 we're not represented in anything, in any museum, anywhere. Okay, this is this is what's this is what's angry. This, I'm angry. I'm angry because I've been here crying to people. I'm on so many different boards. 
and, 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 and a lot of people invited me because you know why? Because I, ha I having this black color on your board helps helps people to think you're okay with everyone. Because because basically I was used as the help. I wasn't I wasn't good enough to lead, but I'm good enough to decorate for your events or or to sell tickets, but not good enough to lead. You, I mean, and so um, I felt really hurt because I'm the board of director from Engage Mountain, Maryland. I was a poll worker. I was a substitute teacher for Garrett County. But then to Garrett County, I'm nothing. I'm nothing at all. When you see, when they see this color on the front page, because I, I keep all of, of the articles, they ignore it and they turn the page. It took me four months to get a ride along in police cars that they can't buy unless I approve the budget. But I wasn't allowed to ride in one unless I was in the back seat. So I'm angry as hell and it hurts. It hurts. I'm about to raise my grandson who's three years old. His mama is white and my son is black. And I'm raising him right here in Garrett County. I'm still, I, I was told I was a hundred dollar every two week volunteer. I'm not equal as the other council members. You know why? Cause of this. And I'm still not. They would have meetings. Well, I'm a councilwoman. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to come to the meeting. I get to the meeting. It was canceled. They just forgot to send me the memo. Democratic club meetings as well. I would call a meeting as the vice chair of the event committee because our chair, she resigned. So that makes me what? If I'm the vice chair. So I call a meeting. I'm sitting at Perkins alone. I have pictures. And then when I called the president and other people on the board, on the committees, oh, oh, I didn't hear that. But when, but at the, but at the next meeting, when they, when they share the minutes, the secretary read the minutes. Kate Brody announced an event club meeting April, August fifteenth at five thirty. So he heard it, I heard it, but no one shows up. And not all, and then everyone want to say, oh, well, that's certain. No, it's not certain people. It's elected officials. It's county people, it's state people. I am also the vice chair for the Maryland Municipal League's hometown emergency preparedness. I was appointed. I go to Annapolis, but before COVID every other month for these meetings. But I went to my own emergency command center when COVID first started and was told I need to prove that I was elected official. Did I have any identification, okay? So, no, no, it's not. But, but, and then, and then, then to get it from both black and white, because the black people say that are here, that are quiet, you're a troublemaker. Why you got to say anything? We fine. We don't care that we not acknowledge. We fine. Also, because I had a Dodge Charger when I came here, I was known, I was said to be the drug dealer from Baltimore. I've never lived in Baltimore, but just because of this color, because of this color in the car, I can't drive through Gary County anytime I want. I don't have that freedom. I dated a white man for a year, and that's the only time I had that freedom. 
because I, I was able to piggyback off of his white privilege. But but I recognized that clearly when we broke up and I was told I had to move out of an apartment where we both, both our names was on that lease. Hmm. I was given seven days. Seven days. So my housing, my employment and everything has been based on the color of my skin. I was threatened that if I ran, because I was a Democrat, I was a woman, and I was black. If I ran for anything here, I would never work anywhere but McDonald's. Well, right about now, it feels damn like that. It feels like that. I applied at all these all these tourist locations. I applied as a housekeeper and told I was I had too much professor, professional experience. Did they not know I have slave in my DNA? So I should know how to empty a wastebasket. But I can't get a job in Garrett County. They will give someone who has just an eighth grade education over me because of this. You see what the Democratic Club did when they brought a 17-year-old that couldn't, it's not even old enough to register to vote to run for councilwoman, but did not accept want to accept the fact that I was going to do it. And then after I won without them. Then they want to have a meeting, a public meeting to apologize. Because they said, well, we're from here. We just didn't think you had a chance in hell. But you left me alone. I'm not on doors. I'm not on people's doors with a 10-year-old white little boy who I promised I would take him to Pizza Hut for lunch every day. We knocked on doors. And so how did I win? By listening. Because because there was no black or diversity here, there was classism. So poor white people was considered the blacks. And they were treated less than. So I listened, listening to young people, letting them have a voice. So now we got kids protesting. But how is that when I was out there with these kids and they don't know who Emmett Till is, they don't know any black history. So how can you lead me a 52-year-old black woman, when you don't even know what you're fighting for. But the white people of Garrett County would rather have those young people as leaders because they don't know than to have someone like me that does and that has the statistics and that worked and that was trained at Butner Federal Prison with, with reentry and want to bring reentry here to this county. They are fighting all of those things. I had to go an hour away to be a CASA, a court-appointed special advocate. I had to go to Allegheny. Garrett County gets money just like every <clears throat> other county, but they don't feel as though they need it. But we got 66 kids in foster care. So we have a lot of problems. And with, with, with um, Lauren, our community, probation and parole are lying to our ex-offenders. They are the ones telling them that they can't vote to keep them from voting. So, so, so that's something we got to stop because they're being told this because I talked to, I mean, even before I, I didn't, I didn't, I don't want to be no um, council person. I was a victim advocate for 26 years and I did not want to do this, but because no one else would raise their hand and we needed someone. I didn't look at myself as being a color. I just said, I'm a Democrat. I'm going to do it. Hmm. 
but I was I would they let me know even when I went to vote they said you're not in, you're not registered you're not in the book yes I am and they said no you're not I said yes well maybe you're not registered voter for 13 years before moving to Maryland in 2016 I worked for the Board of Election in Granville County North Carolina when I came here in 2016 I knew to go directly to the Board of Election in Garrett County so I'm registered, been registered, but they was trying not to let me vote. Then they told people um, a different name. My name is Kate, it's never been Katie, never. There's not even short for Catherine. And so they said, oh, we don't have nobody named Kate on the ballot, just Katie. Or they told them, you, you can't just vote for her, you gotta vote for three people. So people was turned away. Then, <laughs> then I win, I won the election and, they, and then they said, we're going to do a recount because we don't believe this, which was illegal. I had to get a lawyer. And even though the lawyer presented the papers to my town, they said, we're going to do it anyway and called me an angry black woman. Okay, I had to take two white men as my witnesses anytime I had correspondence with the town when it came to that. Then I went to the recount because they had it anyway, illegally. And it showed that I won by two points instead of one. So it showed you cheated. So they gave an extra point to every white person that was on there. And then how is that? How, how are the judges, the candidates' relatives? <laughs> I didn't have no cousin up there. <laughs> so this is what these small towns have done. That's how they keep their family and keep it Willie Lily White. Yeah. I had a white man that voted, came out, he was laughing at me. I said, what's so funny? He said, the only black person that ever ran from anything in Garrett County was the Klan. And you running for this, you're not going to win. And I did, because I'm a woman of God. I have strong faith in God. And he's still in control in, in the midst of all of this mess. He's still in control. And see, when, when we get, when we, and then we are white allies. This is what they don't understand. Yes, we need you all, because you can make, you can do things that going to take me two years to do. You can do it in two weeks. White people started racism, because only white people can end it. I do a dialogue on race forum with the pastor from St. Mark's Lutheran Church every Tuesday night from seven to eight. That dialogue on race forum, he invited me to that a year ago because, and he said, I need a black person. The instructions from the Lutheran Church said, I need a black person. So I don't have any black members at my church. And I don't really know any black people in Garrett County, but you're elected official here where my church is. So would you come? And I came every, every, every Sunday morning. And we cried together because those white people, they really didn't know. And it's like, what, what do you mean you didn't know? You have a degree. <laughs> they didn't know. They cried. That, that, those, they cried and was apologizing. And, and then they were shocked about what I was dealing with and that I still deal with. Like, it, 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 it's, it's crazy. When I, I was on the Autumn Glory, it's our biggest time in this county. Yep. And just up until 2019, they were selling Confederate flags and don't tread on me flags at our events. <clears throat> or the Klan, or, or not the Klan, but a truck with Confederate flags is able to come through the parade. That should not be allowed. Yeah. I felt like I was, um, I was being attacked by rabbit dogs. That was the first time in all the years I've been here that I wanted to go home, pack my stuff and leave. Because the hate is thick. 
It's thick. And we can feel it. We can feel your energy when you hate us. We can see how the darkness around your eyes turn dark or your face turn red just looking at me. And then they say, why do you think I'm racist? Because your eyes can kill me. How you don't want me to touch you. How the kids are taught racism. I'm worked inside the schools as a substitute. Those babies were scared of my color. Some of them stood away in circle time while I'm at the table. They stood back and wouldn't come to the table because their parents told them that black, black and brown people were bad. This is what kids age six, seven, and eight are telling me. Then when they finally come over and sit at the table, they want to hold my hand because they're like, oh my God, you're not bad. This is sad. Out there protesting, seeing people telling their kids to give us the finger or to yell at us, or the, the big trucks would come bring their, their vehicles close to the curb and let the black exhaust smoke choke us. I, as an elected official, have a video of being grabbed by a white man. Yes, he at first he was gonna run up on the curb with the car. As elected official, they did not arrest him. They told him to leave. He left and came back. We called the police again. They just said, they didn't do anything, okay? Then we had our sheriff to, to, to post something to the community saying, I need for my, my um, Garrettonians to take arms with to protect the sheriff department against these protesters. Huh? So you just put a target on every young person or myself back that's out there peacefully protesting. All we doing is doing this or having signs that say Black Lives Matter or Black people live here, FYI, because they act like they don't know. And that's all. And that was, so, so no, I feel I'm terrified because these young people, we are pushing them into, into a territory that people die, okay? We, we not, I'm not sugar on sugar coated, okay? I was, I was, I lived on a street where, the, where a guy came and asked my neighbor, do you want, right in front of my face, he pointed right at me, do you want us to get rid of that nigger? Or at 124 Water Street, downtown <clears> Oakland. <throat> my neighbor says she don't bother nobody. She just go to church and to work. But why did he have to explain that? It's 2020. So, so, so we cannot push these kids to get to be killed because you got some crazy racist people out here and they will do things and go to prison proudly and become head of whatever racist clique is in prison mm -hmm. just by getting the name for doing for hurting someone black or brown or a white ally so 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 we need to be careful on how we push these kids cuz right now they're angry like, like we did a study, I'm on the board for Engage Mountain, Maryland. We did a study in 2018 with young people age 18 to 32, asking them why are they, because they, are they leaving? They don't want to live here no more. So our younger generations are leaving. So we're asking, so the so what, what our politicians want to say, they're leaving because we don't have the job. No, the number one thing they said, all white young people, they said race. We're leaving because of race. We're leaving because because we have we supposed to be this church community, but we speak hate. We teach hate. It's only two churches that I can say that I can go and they will pass the pieces. Someone will shake my hand. 
because the rest of them, when they have, I, they have invited me, but I'm not going to walk up into your sanctuary and you're telling your parishioners that they got to vote for Trump. Yeah. Or they gotta, we gotta pray, we gotta pray because he's our leader. No, I'm, I'm, I don't belong there, because this man has spoke nothing but division, and I can understand if he had slipped up, but he he slipped up the whole four years. Everything he's done has been about color, and so it's it's, it's ugly up in Garrett County, and they and yes, it's a beautiful place, but it's ugly as hell, because we got, I mean. We don't need these kids out protesting. We we need these kids at writing letters on why the black um black history was removed from the Garrett County curriculum. We need kid we need letters on why we don't have nothing showing a black presence in the museum. When Negro Mountain sign was taken down, you wouldn't believe the fight of of white people wanting to remain up when that name. It's an ugly name, and the history is not the true history. Because if two separate families, the Cressup and the Friends, have two different stories, then it's not history. But the real story that the Black people of, and see, that's the whole thing. That's what. That's why I love Western Maryland, because we are related, Frederick, Washington, and Allegheny County. We are related in our struggle. We are related in our history, in, the Amer- in our American history we're related. And then we're related in the Black history of Western Maryland. Yeah. Because that's what made me fall in love, the American history. But then when you add the Black history, most of the descendants that were once here that lived in Negro Mountain and in Garrett County, because Garrett County was a part of Allegheny County, if they all now was they was pushed out to Frostburg, Cumberland, and Washington County. So these are descendants. Okay. So the history started here. Garrett County was a sundown county for 60 years. Sundown meaning when the sun went down, you could not be here. You would be killed. As a caregiver, part-time, um, I worked in the homes of 80 to 75 to 80 year old elderly white people who didn't want to take the ugly history of Garrett County to their graves. So they spoke of how the sheriff would come to their home to get their grandfathers and their fathers to lynch. Yeah. Kate, um, I don't want to cut you off, but I want to just, that's okay. I just want to finish out our discussion. I, it, you, I, there's a lot. I, there's just, thank you. So this can't just end. And just kind of keep going. And we need to come together as a coalition for Western Maryland because um, we got problems. Yeah. Well, this is one of many discussions. This is only the beginning. Um, I should I should just ask, do, who else wants to say anything before we finish out the podcast? Kate, I just want to say that I, I sent you a on social media already, but I'm also going to inbox you my phone number. I would like to come visit you. I'd like to sit with you, talk with you. Also, also as, a, as, as someone, a mediator, like I heard a lot of feelings and values in there. I want to talk to you tomorrow just so I can begin to reflect. Mm-hmm. Because I tell you what, I'm here in Washington County, I'm here in Hagerstown, and I felt that. I, fe- I felt exactly that way. Less than, I mean, for the last four years have been like, have been the, the most intense pressure I've ever felt in my entire life. Check this out. I got four daughters. All of them are grown and have moved out. Like four daughters moved out. I can't do 
messiness that happens day to day. So because of that, but I still, but I still believe in my town. I still believe Hagerstown is good ground. I still believe this is a beautiful place. I, I, I believe it with everything, even though I was traumatized by every system that was supposed to keep me safe. So I understand what it's like to try to be the bridge and at the same time get used. Yep. And then when it's time to call accountability and when it's time to point things out, lose different things, whether it be finances, whether it be house, whatever, I've gone through it. And I, and I felt that, and I just wanna be, I just wanna be someone who can listen with you, strategize with you and pray with you. Sister. Yes. You're not alone. You are Thank not you. alone. There is one of us, two of us, three of us in every county. Looking, we need each other. Yes. Well, thank you. Brian, just, just from my perspective, I agree with Takesha. I, I think there's more than just one or two of us in every county. And I think, and maybe I'm, I, I don't think I'm naive, trust me. I've been doing what I've been doing for way too long to be naive based on what I see on a daily basis. Um, but at the end of the day, my background, I was raised a Quaker. And I believe in the good. Um, and, and, and I believe that it is not my place to stand in judgment. Um, don't get me wrong, though. I will call you out your name if you need to be called out your name. However, I want to say that what you're doing, Ryan, and everybody who's on here is important and is required. And as much as I may complain that it's painful, and I don't want to keep talking about my trauma, or to Keisha's trauma or Kate's trauma or Chad's trauma or anything like that. I think it's still important because we all have had different traumas. And then for Ryan, for you to listen and Kim, for you to contribute and for Charlotte, first of all, I was mad I didn't get my burger and my t-shirt. I'm not gonna lie, but I'm glad you closed. Um, I just think it's important to have that conversation as much as we don't want to have it. We have protested and protested and protested, protested. But whenever we talk, that's just my two cents. You know, I'm I love Washington County. I moved out of Montgomery County. I I, I was in Montgomery County until my 30s before I went to law school in Southwest Virginia. I mean, I was there for Jackson Lee King Day for God's sakes. Okay, and then I moved to Washington County, and I love this county. And I know that we have people in this county who are listening and want to have the conversation. And I think that for us, at least in Washington County, it's something we need to embrace and we need to jump on. The police want to hear it. The judiciary wants to hear it. The state wants to hear it. And I think we got to have that conversation. No, thank you, Lauren. Uh, anybody else want a final thought? Chad, my friend, let me unmute you. There you go. Kate, hey, I love your story. I feel your pain. And this is exactly what I feel like, you know, and I use this term, white America needs to hear. They need to hear, they need to listen, they need to believe these stories that we tell them. Your experience does not negate our experience. So just because you haven't seen it and you haven't felt it and you don't want to acknowledge it does not mean it does not exist. So the big problem is, is that they're not listening. Um, all over social media, Ryan, you've seen it. I'm sure everyone's seen it. It's like, you know, people on the quote other side, like right? 
they may not believe themselves to be racist, but the words to the insensitivity to hearing stories like make them look very racist or at the very bigoted. So, you know, uh, when you live in your own world, when you live in your own bubble, like you said earlier, when you live in your own bubble, it's very hard to accept that somebody has a very different experience than you. And the black experience in America is not the is not the typical white experience. So even if you're a poor white, your life is still significantly better than a poor black. You may as well be rich because you're you you still have opportunities, you still have acceptance, and you still have the pathways to getting more done than a lot of us can. Just Sorry, hold on. Why am I getting you? All right, cool. Sorry about that. So that's it. So that's all that I wanted to say is that, um, you know, A, just listen to stories like Kate's. You know, talk to her, talk to Takesha, you know, talk to everyone, you know, and don't look for it to be taught. Look for these conversations so you, know you can understand. Just listen. Just listen. Listen, don't respond, don't be defensive, just listen, you know, get the experience of people, you know, who are different than you. And 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 if you understand, we can, we can begin to make progress. But you have to listen and you have to understand before anything else can happen. Chad, thank you so much. Sorry, we've, I don't know what happened. My mouse was like muting and I don't know, it's almost 11 o'clock. The, the man's trying to hold me down. The no, 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 um, <laughs> no. Uh, anybody else? Charlotte, do you want to say? Or Kim, you want to say something? Yeah, let me just unmute you here. Okay. Okay, I do actually. Um, I'm known in my in my local Democratic community kind of for like telling you how it is, um, and I'm going to do that right now. Ray Fultz should resign, and he should be held accountable. And um, not just my constituents who are Democratic constituents, but also the Republican constituents. A call to incite violence is unacceptable always. And what the Republican Central Committee came out and said was not an apology at all. It was that we don't incite violence, but they didn't condemn the racism either. And quite frankly, I'm so sick of the good old boys getting away with it. So if you are uh, as disgusted as I am and the people on this panel with it, you need to hold them accountable. It is not cancel culture. It is accountability. And what they said was absolutely unacceptable. And that's that's all I have to say. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, Kim. And you have allies on this panel. And if anybody knows me, man, um, <laughs> Chad, you probably remember. You guys all remember this, but you know, you don't ever want to speak ill of the dead. But there was an incident. <laughs> remember when Woody Spong, Terry Baker's best friend, yeah, was appointed. There wasn't really a process. It was a phony process. Mm -hmm. Everybody sort of knew who it was going to be when there was a commissioner opening back in 2016. And Mr. Spong, who has sadly since passed away, um, he was appointed as the interim commissioner. And then he ended up not being confirmed by the Senate Executive Nominations Committee because he was sharing, sharing racist content on his Facebook page. Now, I did a story on it and a minor detail.com uh, when, when it first occurred and the Republicans 
called me every name in the book. They they threatened me. They they said, you know, how could you do this? We're gonna come after you. And I just said, bring it. I'm not scared. I'm not scared of you. You guys are little fish in a you. They're they're very. They think they're in their minds. They're very big fish in such an infantile, infinitesimally small pond. And that's the problem. That's you know the old boys, good old boys network. You got commissioners like. Terry Baker, who gets domestic violence calls against his wife up in Clear Spring, and he's still in office. And people say, well, you don't know the full story. No, I said, it's like, well, wait a second. I sat next to his ex-wife, watched her cry, and explained exactly how this guy commits domestic violence against her. You got nonsense like this, not just in Washington County, it happens all over the place. Kim, you remember, they put Jerry DeWolf, the head of a nonpartisan selection committee, to select a Board of Education member while simultaneously serving as the chairman of the Washington County Central Committee. A partisan hack selecting the next nonpartisan Board of Education member. And who did they pick? the most partisan person that they could find, a Republican, Trump supporter, under the guise of a fair process. This is the kind of stuff that happens everywhere. And it takes courage and conviction to call it out. Charlotte, I'll give you the last word. No, oh, hold on. You're muted. <laughs> there we go. Am I unmuted? Yes. Um, I mean, I think all I really want to say to everyone is thank you, um, for sharing your experiences and I putting that pain out there and being so authentic and real. Um, and I'm honored that I was here to listen to that. Um, and I'm also <laughs> sorry that you know, it's something that you even have to say. Um, I don't really have much more to say than that. Well, thank you. Folks, we had a, a great discussion tonight, and these were sometimes painful retellings of your personal life narratives. And uh, But we have to hear it. We have to hear these stories. We have to get this out in a way that makes sense. And my platform has always been a a platform where we can talk, talk about tough issues that are uncomfortable, but do it in a way that will make sense of it and get to the bottom of it. And I always invite everybody on to this, uh, to, to this show that, that would be willing to come on. And, and I try to give everybody a fair shake. That's what's so important. I, I hope that we'll continue this. I'd love to have all of you back again. And I want to end this on a positive note. And I mentioned earlier uh, the late Congressman John Lewis. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's interesting that in, in just a, in under a year's time, we lost John Lewis and Elijah Cummings. Um, but you look at someone like John Lewis and you look at Elijah Cummings and look at their lives and you say, I hope my kids grow up to be like that. That's who, that's who we want our kids to model ourselves out after. And while we have, this country is still 
in its infancy, and we don't know where it's going to go. We don't know where, and probably beyond our lifetimes, uh, you know, we'll, we'll start to, to figure these things out. But uh, good people, honest people, people who have a, a higher belief in something, I think that we're going to be all right. You mentioned earlier, Kim, the kids are, I think we're going to be all right. And it takes these types of generational movements to impact culture. Culture is the talk beneath the politics. That's what needs to change. It's the culture. It's not necessarily the politics, and God only knows that needs to change. But if we can impact the culture just by having polite discussions and talking about uncomfortable issues, I think that we're going to make progress. So take that into your hearts and know that we're going to be all right. We're going to be fine. So, guys, gals, uh, thank you for this. This was fun. Uh, I learned a lot. I really appreciate your time. I know two hours is a long time. But, hey, you know what? Uh, we got some great content out of this. I think we had a productive discussion. And, uh, Kate, I'm going to come up and visit you in Garrett County. I'd love to. Can't wait. Um I love Hagerstown. Let's all figure out a place to congregate sometime in Hagerstown. Or, shoot, I mean, there is this place called Dan's Tap House that we can all congregate at. Yeah. So, um, Kim, Kate, Chad, Lauren, Charlotte, Keisha, you guys have been great. Thank you for, for sharing so much profound wisdom. I learned a lot. And I, too, will continue to open my heart and my, my ears most importantly, and listen, and just listen. So with that, I hope you all have a successful week ahead, and uh, stay safe and stay cool. Make sure you drink your water. Chad will tell you that. Drink lots of water. Lots of it. Yeah, so. <laughs> I love it. Friends. Hey, I saw, the, I saw the glass of the other stuff that you had too, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Listen, it's balanced. It's balanced. That's right. Moderation is good, so. Well, y'all have a good night. Um, thanks Lauren, for coming check on. Check your messages. Check your inbox on Facebook. All right. All right, Thank guys. You. Have a <laughs> sleep tight. Nighty night. Thank you. Hey, it's Ryan. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to a minor detail podcast through iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, or virtually any available podcast directory. And you can find a minor detail on the web at a aminordetail.com. I am interested in your feedback. Email me at ryan at aminordetail.com. And please go ahead and give us a like and subscribe on Facebook and Twitter using the at sign. That is at a minor detail with an E, not an O. That's it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you around. <laughs>